Uh, let's pray together, friends, before I keep reading. Mighty God, as we continue to read your word and hear it preached, open our ears to hear, help us to believe what we read, to know that Jesus is worth believing in. Please, God, enable me by your spirit to teach clearly, faithfully, with love, conviction, that we might all uh, respond to the truth of the gospel for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue reading John chapter 11 and from verse 28. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? They asked. He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them said, one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Please keep your Bibles open there to John chapter 11. I haven't had a parent or a child die. And I don't know the level of grief that many of you do. I have had friends and relatives die, and I've stood beside many families at the graveside, and I have ministered to grieving people. The grief is horrible, isn't it? It can be dark, debilitating, gut-wrenching, painful, and it can go on and on. Or it can come in waves and be overwhelming. Where do you find hope and comfort in the face of grief? When you attend a funeral of a non-Christian and feel the hopelessness, it's horrible. Or when your friend expresses that their deceased loved one has just gone up to join a party or peace up there, that is a vain and baseless hope. So where do we find real hope and comfort in the midst of grief? Where do we find real hope and comfort in the face of death? That's in Jesus, isn't it? As we'll hear today. To try and get our heads around this long chapter, we're going to look at uh, three repeated themes in John chapter 11, and they are power and love, rather, love and power and purpose. The first being love. Feel free to take notes on that outline that's in your new sheet. The story focuses on three siblings Lazarus, who's sick, and Mary and Martha. Mary's the one, as we'll see next week, who in chapter 12 will pour perfume on Jesus' feet. And John's readers may have already heard of her. But notice what's said in verse 5. Jesus loved, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in verse 3, the sisters send word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. This tells us that Jesus had friendships Beyond the the 12 disciples, close relationships, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they are loved by Jesus. They are named and they are loved personally, individually. And then when Jesus eventually comes after Lazarus has died in verse 23 to 25, Jesus speaks words to Martha. He speaks words of truth spoken in love. He pushes against the flow of despair in her heart and gives her hope. We'll come back to that. And then when he sees Mary in verse 33 weeping and those who are with her weeping, the word describes a loud crying. Look at how Jesus responds. 
He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. At first he says nothing. The word for deeply moved, it could just mean that he is deeply moved emotionally. That he's groaning in his spirit or sighing heavily. But the Greek word here usually has the sense of anger behind it. So it's not just grief that he's feeling, but he's filled with anger. Not that he's angry at Mary and Martha, but in context he's likely angry at death. Angry at the sin and death that brings so much sorrow and grief. Maybe he's also angry at the devil who holds the power of death, as Hebrews chapter 2 says. But please notice verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He shed tears. He cried. The Jews think that he's crying because Lazarus is gone, but that's not it. He did love Lazarus, but he's not despairing like they are. Still, his weeping tells us that he is not remote from the suffering of human beings. His tears are not the tears of some professional mourner or a remote spectator. He's with us in our need. He empathizes with us in love. And when you later, if you want to go home and read Hebrews 4.15 or Romans 8, 38, 39, they support this truth that Jesus sees our grief and he cares. He loves us. In verse 21 and 32, Martha and Mary say exactly the same words to Jesus. But he responds to each of them differently. In Timothy Keller's words in his book Encounters with Jesus, Jesus gives Martha what we would call the ministry of truth. This is what she needs at that moment. When he says, effectively, listen to me. Don't despair. I'm here. Resurrection. Life. That's what I am. But then he comes to Mary. And when he gets to Mary, he gives her what we could call the ministry of tears. This is what she needs most at that time. Because of his human identity, he is low enough to steep into her sorrow with complete sincerity and integrity and just weep with her. And frankly, Keller says, everybody needs a ministry of truth and a ministry of tears at different times. Sometimes you need more of the bracing truth. You need a loving friend to say, remember what's true, wake up and look around you. Other times you really just need somebody to weep with you. Sometimes to lay the truth on people when they're grieving is absolutely wrong. But other times just to weep with them and not tell them the truth is wrong, equally wrong. And some of us have personalities that are prone to confront people when sympathy is called for, and others are actually the opposite. But Jesus is never strong when he should be tender, and he's never tender when he should be strong. We need wisdom to know what's needed. 
So in seeking to love like Jesus did, pray for wisdom. A pastor called Chris Drombetta attended the funeral of a dearly loved woman in his church. And Chris says, I'm in my living room thinking about ways that I could have been and hope to be more helpful to this family. Thinking of things for us to remember as we walk with grieving people. And these points are mentioned on your outline. Firstly, be present. Chris says the point cannot be overstated. So go and be there. And that's what we saw in our passage too, isn't it? In verse 31, Jews going and being with Mary and Martha. Chris says don't worry about what to say or how to say it at this point. Just show up. Sit respectfully, thoughtfully, be present, listen. Secondly, serve eagerly. Sometimes all a grieving family member needs is a cup of coffee or a glass of water because they haven't drunk anything for hours. Sometimes the anxious grandchild needs to go for a walk to clear their head. Sometimes the distracted and concerned young mother needs someone to pick up her kids from school. Step in, serve eagerly, don't wait to be asked. Offer it. Thirdly, get out of the way, don't overstay. And we need wisdom. Fourthly, cry. Chris says, I'm not talking about disingenuous emotion. I'm talking about joining our hearts with people in such a way that we actually weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. As Jesus does here. And then fifthly, run to Jesus. Jesus Christ became a man and as such he identifies with us in our trouble in the most intimate and significant way. And he went a step further by going to the cross on our behalf, dying for our sins and making a way for us to live in relationship with God. Jesus is our hope in the face of death. Jesus is our song in the midst of sorrow. So when you're in the midst of a family that's breaking, run to Jesus for the healing and the wholeness that only he can bring. This brings us to our second point, power. Coming back to the start of chapter 11, Martha and Mary, they send word to Jesus for they know that he is able to do something to help their sick brother. And what does Jesus say in verse 4? This sickness will not end in death. Not ultimately, that is. But then come to verse 14, Lazarus dies. Lazarus has died. Martha, in verse 21, she knew that Jesus could have saved him from dying. She had confidence in his power. Even now, she says, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. If you were to skip down to verse 39... It reveals that she's not actually thinking that Christ will bring him back to life now. Still, her confidence is in him. And in verse 37, 
Even the people, they know that Jesus has power. Yes, he could have kept this man from dying, but he had another purpose, as we'll see shortly. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Verse 39, Martha knows his body is already decaying, smelly. That's no problem for the Son of God. It's no problem for the one through whom all things were made. It's no problem for the Son of God, who in chapter 5, verse 21, gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And who in chapter 5, verse 28, his is the voice who can bring the dead out of their graves. While tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, with anger in his soul, he advances to the tomb as a champion prepared for conflict. Jesus' power is wonderfully seen when he calls out, Lazarus, come out. No spells, no magic, just his powerful word. And what a powerful word, because verse 44, the dead man came out. And he's no undead mummy, no zombie. He's been restored to life, raised to mortal life. By that I mean Lazarus will die again. Unlike for Jesus, when Jesus was raised from the dead, when Jesus was resurrected, he was raised to life never to die again. And so the raising of Lazarus gives us a, a glimpse of Christ's power. His power as the resurrection and the life. Do you believe Jesus is powerful? Do you believe that Jesus can answer your prayers and heal your illness and save your loved one from dying? He can. Because our God is sovereign. He's almighty. He is all-powerful and nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing. At my last church, a man called Tony Lowe, he used to be a Buddhist and a stubborn unbeliever. But in answer to the prayers of his Christian wife and many others, a large brain tumour that was meant to kill him was miraculously healed and disappeared. His doctors were boggled. And Tony later came to believe in Jesus Christ. He's still alive today. And he's testifying to what God has done. Now God is powerful to answer prayers. He is still powerful. But often God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we ask or in our time. And people do remain sick. Often people die. Unless the Lord comes, we will all die. Because he has another plan. People do die because he has another plan, another purpose. And our final point is purpose. 
Jesus' purpose. Coming back to verse 4, when told that Lazarus is sick, notice how Jesus responds. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so the Son of God's Son may be glorified through it. This tells us that the purpose of Lazarus being powerfully raised from death, it's for God's glory, for God to reveal his glory. And that happens when the Son of God is glorified. Jesus, the Son of God, is glorified when he is praised and honoured and trusted. So, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was was sick, Jesus stayed where he was two more days. And if you look at verse 15, he's even glad that he didn't go sooner. It's a word that can mean rejoicing. I mean, this may seem callous or uncaring or indifferent because he hasn't rushed to help and heal. But no, because we've already been told that he loved Lazarus and his sisters who were grieving. Lazarus being allowed to die is consistent with Christ's love, for he has a good purpose in it. After two days, Jesus supernaturally knows that Lazarus is dead Seems that he then takes a four-day journey south back to Judea. But when he was there last time in, in chapter 10, the Jews tried to stone him to death and also to arrest him. And Jesus' disciples, they know that going to Jerusalem equals danger. But in 11 verse 9, Jesus says he must do his work while it's daylight. In other words, while he has opportunity. And he has no reason to fear as long as he's walking in God's will, walking in the light, fulfilling God's purposes. And and remember that the purpose is Jesus being glorified as people come to believe and trust in him. Jesus had waited for Lazarus to die and be long dead before he acts. Verse 14, why does he act? So that you may believe. Believe what? Jesus declares to Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And he's not talking about the resurrection on the last day. As much as that is true and as much as that will happen, in these amazing and life-changing words in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the great I am, the one who is God come in the flesh. As we heard last week, he is one with the Father. Jesus has repeatedly referred to himself as God in John's gospel. Like when when he has said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. Now I am the resurrection and the life. And as God, he has the power to give people life. Back in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus promised he could give people life to the full. And that starts now. 
in 10 verse 28, it's life eternal. It's eternal life. And then if we add to those verses, John chapter 11, verse 25, if we add that to our understanding, Jesus is now saying, if we believe in him, we will live even though we die. Because death is just a gateway to further life and fellowship with God for believers. So Jesus has the power to give people spiritual life now. Relationship with God now. Peace with God now. The presence of God now. And by never die, Jesus means that we'll never suffer eternal and spiritual death and the judgments of God. Believers will never experience that. So we have new life now. And we will have resurrection life in the future. Raising Lazarus from the dead was really Jesus' greatest sign. But really this just leads to the all-surpassing sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. And because Jesus died and rose Never to die again, he has defeated death. Because Jesus has risen, we can rise and we will rise. At death, our soul, brothers and sisters, will go to be with the Lord immediately. And when Jesus returns, we will be given new resurrection bodies, resurrection life, with indestructible, immortal bodies. So better than Superman, better than any superhero you can think of, better than Thanos for the Avengers fans out there, real, eternal life. Life forever. Undying life forever. And we'll be able to say, in the words from 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Real victory. Of course, the Jewish leaders, they they refuse to believe this. They refuse to believe in Jesus Well, in verse 45, many Jews believed. Uh, The leaders, they still don't believe. Despite this display of power in raising Lazarus, the Pharisees just believe the miracle makes him more dangerous. Verse 53, they, they plotted to take his life because they are motivated by fear and anger and jealousy. They're fearful of losing their power and influence. They're fearful of Roman interference and they're angry and jealous because of all the people that are going to Jesus. Still, the high priest Caiaphas, he speaks true words in verse 50. He suggests that Jesus could die for the nation like a scapegoat to spare the Jews from the Romans. But God also inspired him to speak these words. That's what's meant when we're told that he prophesied. 
So what the words he speaks have, have a deeper meaning for Christians. Jesus would die as a sacrificial substitute for our sins. He would die to save the children of God, Jews and non-Jews, to bring us all to God. Jesus knew the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself in the grave. If he was going to save us from death, he was going to have to go to the cross and bear the judgments that we deserve. This is what we are to believe. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead himself. Jesus is alive. This is what we are to believe. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has a life in himself and he can give life to you. This is what you are to believe. And he or whoever believes in him will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Jesus will never spiritually die. Do you believe this? Martha does. Verse 27, she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. That means that she believes he is the promised king who has come to rule and save God's people. He is the son of God who has come to be the saviour of God's people. She believes. The word believe, he describes something that Martha is persuaded of and convinced of. Believe isn't just accepting certain facts as true. It is a conviction and trust in who Jesus is. It's, it's a personal confidence in Jesus Christ himself. So are you confident in, convinced of, are you persuaded that Jesus is the promised King and Saviour who can give you life and save you from eternal death? He can give you resurrection life. So are you personally trusting in him? If you don't, you don't have life. Only death. But when you place your confidence in the truth about Jesus, you place your confidence in him. And when you've placed your confidence in Jesus, you can face your own death with peace. Knowing that to die physically is to go and be with the Lord. And that is better by far. And when we lose friends and loved ones who've believed in the Lord, we can have hope and grieve with hope. For they have gone to be with Christ and we will one day be reunited with them and with Christ one day. So the death and resurrection of Jesus, it gives us hope, a real hope which helps us cope and which changes how we grieve. 
When you trust in him and look to him in your grief, you glorify him. You bring honour and praise to God. You're saying that my hope and my security, it's not in me, but in you, Lord. And when you're trusting God in your grief, you're trusting that he can have a purpose in your loss and bring good from it and bring glory to Jesus. Maybe the good that God brings is when you've lost a loved one, is you having the chance to speak with others about the reason for your hope so that others can come to place their hope and trust in Jesus too. Even when you grieve, are you making the most of those opportunities to point others to the one who gives us real hope? Remember, the purpose of Lazarus being raised was the glory of God and his son. Verse 4, verse 40. And that happens when people believe. Verse 42. So believe in Jesus and give God the glory. Glorify Jesus by trusting in him for life. And in your grief, glorify Jesus. In your grief, glorify Jesus by continuing to place your confidence and hope in him. I close with this story. Emily is ushering the children out the door to school. One, two, three. She thinks of Rosie, four. Every day she thinks of Rosie, their fourth child born with a malformed heart and dead at three months, absent and yet always present. Two years on, Emily still feels the loss. It hurts here on the doorstep. It hurts. Time will heal, people had said. She knows they're trying to be positive, but she doesn't want to be positive. Sometimes she just wants to weep. Emily thinks of Jesus weeping with Mary when Lazarus had died. He didn't give her a lecture. He just wept with her. It had been a comfort. You see, for Emily, people had stopped talking about it, stopped talking about Rosie, and no one really knows the pain she feels. No one. And then her thoughts go back to Jesus. She's been talking as if Jesus belonged in the past. She thinks about Jesus in heaven, looking down into her home. Did Jesus see her broken heart? Yes, he surely does. Does he sympathize with Emily as he did for Mary? Jesus had said, surely I am with you always. Emily tells herself, I'm not alone. Even in the grief, I'm not alone. I'm not alone, even in the grief that no one else sees. 
Where do we find hope and peace in the face of grief? In Jesus. Where do we find hope in the face of death, even when you're faced with your own death? In Jesus. In him, because he is the resurrection and the life. So glorify him, the one who died and has risen by trusting in him. For when we believe in him, we live. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise you that you have conquered and defeated death through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead. And Father, we pray that you might accept our thanks and praise that because of Christ, who he is and what he's done, we can look forward to life eternal, life forever, undying life in your presence. Please comfort those who grieve in different ways and who grieve the loss of loved ones. Help us to place our hope and faith and trust in Jesus in the face of death and in the face of grief. Help us to believe in him and to make the most of opportunities to point others to the reason for the hope that we have. Empower us, be with us by your spirit. Thank you that you promise that we are never alone. Amen.